make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to episode 22. Today I will be speaking with the wonderful Irshad Manji, an inspiring Muslim reformer and founder of the Moral Courage Project and author of Controversial Stuff. I'll add links to her books in the show notes so you can check them out. Hi, Irshad. Hi, how you doing? I am so good and so happy to be speaking with you finally. I mean, We've been planning this for a while, haven't we? Yeah. And, you know, you've been an inspiration to me, let me just say, because I used to watch you when I was in university on City TV and be like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. There's like a South Asian-y person <laughs> that talks about this stuff. And what, and what stuff in particular are you referring to? Because believe it or not, I actually did business news at the same time as um, hosting queer television. Oh, really? No, I wasn't watching your business news. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> but yeah, I was really happy to see someone from kind of my background. I know we don't have the exact same background. Oh, but, yeah, but um, we're brown chicks. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, addressing more controversial issues that come up in our cultures right. and stuff. So I right. watched you on Queer TV, which was so exciting. Thank you. Thank you. And, and it, they, those were very exciting times. And then, um, you know, the, the station that you just mentioned, City TV, went corporate. Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided that I needed to be doing something else. Mm -hmm. um, and so here we are. And so now you've left us in Canada and moved off to the U.S. Oh, you know what? I'll never, ever leave Canada. Yes, I've moved to the United States, um, but I will always remain, you know, a Canadian, not just in heart, but also in passport. <laughs> That's good to hear. That's good to hear. <laughs> Um, some of your reform stuff has been uh, also very interesting. I know we don't perfectly align on that, mm -hmm. obviously, because I'm a, a non-believer and you're a believer. So obviously there's some pretty basic differences in our views. But I think that um, I really support your work and work like yours because I think it's so necessary, right? Well, you know, I have to say that, okay, sure, while we might disagree, and we do disagree on something fundamental, um, and we can discuss that, of course, nonetheless, the fact that you are so open to my belief in God and in the basics of Islam uh, really is reciprocated by me towards you. Um, I completely defend and appreciate your right not to believe. And, you know, to the degree that I can even metaphorically stand by you and our brothers and sisters who are fighting for uh, the freedom to disbelieve, please know that I do stand shoulder to shoulder. Thank you so much. It's so good to hear that because there's a, a kind of a, 
a degree of untouchability that comes with being ex-Muslim. Yeah. And I've spoken with other reformist Muslims and they really kind of don't want to have much to do with me simply because I'm a non-believer. So but what's their problem? Why do they say that, you know, <laughs> I can't a- associate myself with you uh, and yet still be for reform? Like, do you, do you get where they're coming from? Because at this moment, I don't. I absolutely don't. And I'm always fighting for, you know, the rights of people, uh, especially even for for Muslims, right? I'm like, don't generalize Muslims. Absolutely. And then when Muslims come along and say it's okay to generalize ex-Muslims, it's a bit, it's a bit inconsistent and also hurtful. Well, you know, I think you're being very charitable when you say inconsistent. I'm just going to call it what it is, and that's hypocrisy. (laughs) Yeah, that too. Yeah. I suspect, by the way, that um, many reform-minded Muslims would not want to uh, be associated with ex-Muslims simply because they're thinking about the politics of it all. But, you know, I learned something early on um, in my journey um, as a reformist Muslim. I remember being told by many supporters, um, if only you weren't gay, Mm. then it would be perfect. And I said to them, the problem is, though, that you're suggesting that I would want to have a constituency of supporters who are homophobic. Yeah. I don't. Exactly. You know, um, and if the only thing that stops a potentially reformist Muslim from allying with me is my sexual orientation, then guess what? They're actually not reformists. Mm. And not very good allies. And not very good allies. Yeah. Similar with the ex-Muslim thing. If you're, uh, you know, if you dislike non-believers, then you're not a very good reformist or an ally. Exactly right. So, you know, I don't even, I don't frankly lose much thought over this. Um, Those who, you know, do support where me and you are coming from should have the courage to say so. Doesn't mean they have to agree with everything. God Mm -hmm. knows even we don't. Yeah. But if you're going to, you know, have integrity, and I do mean that very, very intentionally, integrity in advancing uh, reform within Islam, then at the very least, have the wholeness and sincerity to develop your own backbone before asking the same of others. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and congrats on getting married, by the way. <laughs> Speaking of Thank you. people who are homophobic, and uh-huh. I think, uh, you know, I saw clips from your wedding video, and right. I saw your mom reading verses from mm-hmm. the Quran. Mm-hmm. To bless them. Bless the marriage. Which is pretty cool. I mean, again, I'm going to say that I don't understand how mm-hmm. how you can reconcile being gay and Muslim, but I will also say power to you. If you can shape your faith to fit you rather than try mm-hmm. to shape yourself to fit a faith right. that doesn't necessarily work today, right. I'm going to support you in that 100%. And if your mom wants to, you know, find verses from the Quran that she thinks works here and bless it, then power to you guys. I think that's so, so cool. Well, and, and it's all in the interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't for a minute claim that the Quran itself is consistent, let alone right. uh, that, you know, that, that it supports gay and lesbian people. But what I do say is that there are 
a number of verses in the Quran that ask us to think and analyze and reflect and rethink. And that's not to say that when you do that, you will come to the same conclusion as me. No. Mm. What I think is going on here is that um, faith cannot be sincere unless you yourself are critically examining it. If mm-hmm. you're simply swallowing what other people tell you is the case, then uh, you know you can call it what you want, but faith as in trust is not, uh, trust with God that is, uh, not with God's self-appointed ambassadors. Um, call it what you want, but it is not faith and certainly it's not sincere. And I think that for any um, a creator uh, to be worthy of my worship, uh, that creator has to be willing to engage in honest conversation with me and to not, you know, shrink from from questions. Um, otherwise, it's a petty God. And right. I'm not interested <laughs> in worshiping a petty God. I'm um, interested in worshiping a majestic one. Yeah, I think I was there. Uh, at one point in my life, I think I thought a lot Uh, along the same lines so you know for me like going clubbing dancing whatever were like spiritual experiences and people Mm -hmm. and you know my more religious relatives would be like that's just that's ridiculous you know right that's haram yeah so I never prayed even you know when I did believe I didn't really pray Mm -hmm. uh because I believed less in the ritual and more in the essence so I get that so, so yeah, I think I, I was there at one point. It's just that um, the whole the whole worshiping thing to me seems a bit petty in uh-huh. itself. So, and you know, I don't don't I don't really get answers and just the one right. way discussion. And there's so many contradictory things. It just it didn't work for me. And and if it works for some people and you can use that in a positive way, then why not, right? Um, well, and, and I'll also clarify that certainly the worshiping, um, if that means, you know, blind, uh, sub, uh, blind submission or blind obedience, that doesn't work for me either. Mm. You know, somebody um, recently confronted me in a loving way, but nonetheless confronted me to say, what is your ultimate loyalty. Is it what you call God or is it freedom of inquiry? And given that crude choice, I was very upfront. I said, it's freedom of inquiry. Mm -hmm. But I reminded him, understand that in practicing my interpretation of Islam, I have not compromised freedom of inquiry at all. Quite the opposite. The deeper I go to ask the questions I have, the deeper my faith becomes. Um, And that's not to say again that it's, quote, rational. I think that faith and rationality are two different realms. And to judge either Mm. by the other's, um, you know, uh, strong points um, is to set yourself up for disappointment one way or the other. Uh, I'm sort of an and both kind of gal, not an either or one. and of course, I'm not a relativist. I, I don't believe that anything goes. I, you know, sincerely denounce and fight against uh, jihadism, as I do white supremacy. Right. Um, there has to be standards of dignity and decency, not just for all human beings, but I believe for all creatures, um, you know, animals included. Uh, so I do draw the line at certain points, but I also hope, anyway, that I conduct myself in a way that's uh, humble enough and 
in wonder of the world enough to be open to hearing different points of view and considering them rather than, you know, simply shutting myself off mm-hmm. from that with which I don't agree. Right. I think being open to hearing different points of view can only uh, strengthen your own or expand your mind. There's, It's just a win-win, right? Oh, well, um, I think so. And, you know, I'll, I'll go a step further. Um, I realize that some people listening to this podcast would say, well, I don't see how it strengthens your own. And in any event, mine is already strong, so I don't need to hear opposing points of view. Well, here's something to think about. When you um, open yourself up to opposing points of view and assuming that you want to have influence on the person who is opposed to your point of view, at the very least, you're going to hear what they're not hearing about your argument. Mm. And you'll then, uh, uh, you know, want to consider what is it that I can do to strengthen the way I communicate my argument? Because if that person is missing what I'm trying to say, the onus is not on them to agree or even respect your point of view. The onus is on you to clarify and frame it deliberately don't understand like they know what you're saying but they just refuse to acknowledge it that's a different thing entirely that's a different thing and of course you know you got to get good right Uh, if you want to have influence you got to get good at sizing people up right but rather than assuming that this person is shall i say irredeemable (laughs) i um you know i'm gonna give that person a fair hearing if only so that i can become a better messenger of my point of view yeah. So this right? faith and if you're and, reaching a dead end, if you're reaching a dead end, then you're reaching a dead end. But don't call it prematurely. Yeah, you got to give it a chance. I mean, I get into these discussions with my family sometimes, and they're mm-hmm. you know they're lovely, very liberal Muslims. But mm-hmm. in a way, I find that incredibly frustrating. Also, <laughs> why is that? <laughs> because it's like. There's so much whataboutery, right? Like it's almost easier talking to an extremist because they're they're not playing these kind of mental gymnastics. And the people right. I love the most in the world are what I consider to be a um, an oxymoron, right? Mm. Liberal theists. So, right. so we right. get into but, these discussions. But can I ask you though? Can I ask you though? Mm-hmm. What what? And and again, I ask because I want to understand what is um, contradictory about being a liberal theist. Well, if you just look at the scriptures, right? There's some really violent, sexist, misogynistic, homophobic verses, and it's not just limited to Islam. Of course. So. I understand the desire to just pick out the good bits, and I support that. But there's also the plausibility of the more awful interpretations, which I don't think should be denied, right? And people often fall into the game of denying it or sanitizing it. And I think that that comes off really unfair, especially to people who have been um, victimized, victimized by religion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that completely. And I think, um, again, I I speak from years and years of, you know, engaging with what I would call mealy mouthed moderate Muslims um, is that uh, when they, you know, sanitize the Quran which is something, by the way, that I never try to do. Let me say up front, if I haven't already made it clear, that the Quran does contain regressive verses. Mm. No doubts. No doubts about that. Um, when, uh, you know, seemingly 
liberal uh, Muslims sanitize that point, I think they're coming from a place of identity rather than faith. Mm. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, we all as human beings have egos and we need egos in order to survive. But so many people of, who, who embrace any, um, you know, ism or any dogma cling to their identities so tightly that they allow those identities to dictate to them. You must be X, Y, and Z. If you relent on any one of the things that your identity tells you you must be, then you're actually not that thing. You're not that identity. So, you know, for example, if a Muslim acknowledges that, yeah, there are contradictions in the Quran, mm-hmm. then, oh, my God, I must not be a Muslim. What am I then? And, you know, I would argue that the Quran itself, if you really take time to learn, acknowledges that there are um, inconsistencies. So instead of fearing those inconsistencies, use them to inform your own interpretation and use them to be humble about that interpretation. I I don't want to come off as, you know, a a hurler of this verse and that verse, but I must tell you that one of the most genius passages in the Quran says, and I'm I'm quoting pretty much uh, verbatim, that some of the passages in this book are precise and other passages are um, ambiguous. And it is only those with disbelief in their hearts who will seize on the ambiguous passages and dictate the interpretations to other people. Sure. And this, this, this verse, I'll, I'll just finish up with this thought okay. and then the floor is yours. This verse ends by saying, uh, believers understand that only your Lord knows the full and final meanings of these passages. Which is why I, as a Muslim, have to have the humility to recognize that though I insist on my own interpretation, I cannot impose that on others. And by the way, this means, according to my interpretation, that neither can jihadis and other extremists. They do, though. (laughs) They do. Exactly. Exactly right. Which is all the more reason that I take the stand uh, for reform rather than simply, you know, say, well, you know, that's their interpretation. No, I'm sorry. The reason I oppose their interpretation is that they are imposing it on others. Right. And I stand with you on that. But when you say, um, you know, some passages are vague and they say that they're, Mm -hmm. that, that some passages are going to be vague and we can just leave it at that and then let God decide, which is a great interpretation. I wish everyone had that. But then there's also other passages which say that this is the literal word of God and you have to take Mm -hmm. it seriously and it's not vague. So, right. Yet another um, contradiction. Yeah. For sure. Right. And, and then and, it and says again, stuff about I, I disbelievers that I can't yeah, yes, it does. let it, yes, let it, it does. that I can't, um, you know. That you can't just, you know, turn your back on and, yeah. and you know, presume that uh, or, or, or neglect, right? Right. And so when people say to me, it doesn't say that, you're just misunderstanding. <sighs> it no, makes me no. very upset because you're really just right. then denying something. Exactly. That's the word, my friend, denial. And this is why from a very, you know, uh, early stage uh, after I wrote The Trouble with Islam Today, I pointed out that, um, you know, to be in denial is in fact to raise suspicions 
about what you're running away from. And if you think, moderate Muslims, that you're doing Islam any favors by wallowing in denial, you're going to find out sooner than later that that, in fact, will only deepen people's suspicions yes, of Islam. Yes, I don't understand the motivation behind the denial and the rush to disassociate from Islam any terrorist attack, because what will that accomplish? Everyone well, well, can see. Here's the thing. I, I understand it, but I don't accept it. And what I understand, as I said earlier, these people are coming from a place of identity. Identity, and I know that we, you know, joked about being fellow brown chicks, but, you know, I'm not going to speak for you at all. I certainly don't identify as just a brown chick. We are all many things at once. Mm. And so when anybody comes from a place of hardcore identity, as in I am Muslim, or I am a socialist, or I am a feminist, Mm -hmm. or I am a person of color, or I am a capitalist, or I'm a white guy. Mm. All of that uh, is fodder for defensiveness. When you hear something that remotely threatens you know, the the uh, baggage that goes with being one thing. One thing, exactly. Yeah. Then uh, your defenses, emotional defenses, naturally rise. Hmm. And that is when, you know, you either run away from the challenge that has just confronted you um, or you denounce it heatedly. Mm-hmm. And either way, right, you're in denial. Yeah. Right. So, so can I ask, in terms of not sanitizing and then reforming. What do you say to people who say that reform and this kind of cherry picking is a type of sanitization? Right. Well, first of all, I would say, and again, I'm being brutally honest here as I try to be in every conversation. um, Yep, I am cherry picking. Mm -hmm. You bet. However, I'm honest about that. Whereas Mm -hmm. the people who oppose my reformist point of view are also cherry picking, Mm -hmm. but they will not be honest about that. Why do I say they're cherry picking? Because, and, you know, just sort of springboarding off of my earlier point about, um, about the contradictions in the Quran, there are also plenty of passages that uh, are pretty forward looking. Uh, There are passages that, um, you know, at the very least allow, if not encourage, uh, people to ask questions. Uh, The Quran contains three times as many verses calling on us to do that than verses calling on us to blindly obey. Three times. Yeah, I definitely agree that there's both types of passages. So you can pick your path. Exactly. You can pick your path. And here's the thing. Why can't, and again, I'm asking a rhetorical question here because people are coming from a place of identity when they fail to do this. Why can't we own the fact that we are cherry picking and then explain why we are doing that? Why it is, um, you know, something that is part and part of the spiritual journey. Mm hmm. Right. So so back to your question, when you said just now, you know, what do you say to people who claim that you're cherry picking? I say, yes, I am. Mm -hmm. And um, frankly, the Quran is so at war with itself that we believers have but to choose about what to play up and what to downplay. Mm -hmm. Um, Selectiveness is inevitable. And I choose to make the case for the possibility of a reformist interpretation of the Quran. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I think that honesty really helps further things along, mm-hmm. right? It's the dishonesty that then gets everyone Correct. entangled in this conversation right. of, yes, you are, no, I'm not, yes, you are, no, I'm not, yes, it does, right. yes, it is inconsistent, no, it isn't. So just being honest about it and upfront about it helps you skip a few steps and move forward. So I think Correct. that's very helpful. Um, Correct. But in terms of only picking the good parts, yeah, um, is that not a type and acknowledging, of and acknowledging acknowledging the the regressive parts? Right. But yes, emphasizing the good parts. Emphasizing uh-huh. the good parts. Is that not a type of sanitization or? You know, I, I don't think so. Um, and not if what you mean by sanitization is again, you know, ignoring. Uh, the lousy stuff. Mm -hmm. Again, I want to make very clear to our listeners today, I am not ignoring, denying, or whitewashing away the the negative stuff. Mm -hmm. It exists. Mm -hmm. No question about that. But in focusing only on the negative stuff, we run the risk, and I think the very reality of uh, ignoring the positive stuff. And so I wouldn't want to make that mistake only in the opposite direction. Do you see my point? Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I I have heard some good uh, stories from the Hadith and stuff in my childhood, like about giving kittens milk or, uh, you know, I think there was one about... um, uh, a sex worker who went to heaven and a guy who prayed five times a day but kicked a dog who ended up going to hell. So I remember hearing stories like that and that my parents used to tell me to, to demonstrate that, you know, only God can judge and you don't go by these simplistic Wahhabi rules that you see around mm-hmm. you because we grew up in Saudi Arabia. I did. And uh, um, my, parents, my, my condolences. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, it's made me who I am today. So I I don't think I'd trade that experience. It was a fascinating experience. Good for you. Good for you. Especially in retrospect. But um, like my dad was always very wary about the Wahhabi uh, Islam and he was not on board with that at all. So he's been a very good secular role model for me all Mm -hmm. along, even though Mm -hmm. I was raised in Saudi, even though he's a practicing Muslim, he was just very, very in tune with not kind of getting on board with the things that were around us all the time. And we see, right. we saw a lot of our fellow Pakistani community members fall into that and get more and more religious and start right. donning the headscarf. And my dad was always like very vocally against it. So that takes a lot of strength, particularly in an environment like that. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and he would talk about the pressure too at work, like how the um, Saudi people in the office would pressure the non-Saudis to go to mosque all the time for prayers and my dad would just get really annoyed because he wasn't he didn't like pray all the time like I think he just prayed on Fridays or whatever right so this made it obligatory and annoying for him so anyways so um let me just say that um the idea of picking a good path and learning some positive lessons from the Quran yeah that yeah um that that does exist and I have seen living examples of it so why not pick that path absolutely as long as we don't deny Mm -hmm. the um more violent and dangerous and misogynistic parts of it so I don't get this, oh, but the real Islam isn't yeah, sexist, you know, or oh, but the real Islam doesn't call for gender segregation. Right. Or um, actually, I wanted to ask you about a quote I heard from you about the raisins thing. 
So, but you want to explain to our listeners uh, what my general argument was, and I'll definitely flesh it out. Okay, so this is what I understood: is that there's no place, according to you in the Quran, that actually says there's virgins. Um, available for the martyrs in the afterlife, right? So it might be a mistranslation uh, where they mean raisins. Well, okay, so here's the deal. First of all, I am not claiming that I know the Quran so well Hmm. that, you know, I'm definitively saying that the word virgins has been um, mistranslated, that it really should have been raisins. What I am saying is that any one of your listeners who Googles and virgins or raisins uh, instantly will come up a couple of um, uh, articles by two different scholars, uh, one Muslim or one ex-Muslim, I should say, one um, uh, never has been Muslim, um, who make the case that the Quran um, is such a complex language that uh, the word for virgins over you know millennia has in fact been mistranslated. Hmm. And what the original Quran uh, said is that it is raisins that martyrs will get in heaven. And again, I appreciate that this is laughable (laughs) to many of our listeners, but let's think about this in a historical context. Um, You know, in seventh century, uh, what we now know as Saudi Arabia, uh, there was absolutely no irrigation. Uh, There was, you know, stark desert and raisins, which come from grapes, uh, would have been considered a delicacy, Mm -hmm. something that's quite rare and that, you know, really um, is a pricey treat. And so if, in fact, the Quran holds out any rewards for so-called martyrs, um, something like raisins would have not been a laughable reward. Uh, so, th- and again, it's not me who's saying this. It's a couple of scholars who have both reached that conclusion. Mm-hmm. But then there's scholars, many, many, many scholars who have reached the other conclusion as well, right? And just looking at it in the context of the verses, like they talk about round breasts, big eyes, uh, chaste, mm-hmm. um, you know, lower, lowering their gazes and right. stuff like that. So that doesn't right. seem to fit with grapes. <laughs> raisins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, grapes right. or raisins. But, but, but remember, we're at this moment talking about rewards for martyrs. Hmm. And in the Quran, and you're right, it's, it's according to me, um, but I, again, I, I you know, uh, lovingly challenge any of our listeners to uh, go through the Quran um, and tell me where it tells us that so-called martyrs, people who kill themselves for a higher, so-called higher cause, will in fact get, um, get a reward of, of virgins in heaven. Uh, the, 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 now, let me be clear. The Quran does describe virgins in heaven. And it talks about exactly the description that you've just given us. Mm -hmm. It does not, however, offer this to martyrs or what we today would call martyrs. And just to uh, push this point a little bit further, you know, about 15 years ago now, I managed to um, cross into Gaza um, and interview uh, the head 
of Islamic Jihad, uh, obviously a known terrorist organization in the region. The political head, his name was Muhammad al-Hindi. I think he's still alive. And when I asked him, and this was my opening question, it remained the theme, the underlying theme of my interview with him. I asked him, uh, you know, since, since you endorse suicide missions and you say that uh, Islam, uh, it's Islamically informed, your, your point of view, tell me, sir, where in the Quran it says that you can kill yourself for a higher cause? He told me it's everywhere. And I mm. said, great, great, then this will be easy. Give me one passage. Give me one verse. He tried looking for it. He couldn't come up with it. He consulted various uh, books around him. He still didn't find it. He then tried to get out of the interview, telling me he's busy and he has to go. <laughs> and I said, really? So you're telling me that when I go home and I look for this myself, it will be there. In other words, you're telling me that you're not lying to me. And he understood English very, very well, even though he spoke to me in Arabic and you know, I, I uh, understood all of this through a translator. He smirked like, oh shit, I'm busted. And then he continued to look and finally he had to turn to a couple of his aides who in turn put a verse in front of me that had nothing to do with what I had asked about. Nothing. Um, so, you know, we again, we have got, even, even those of us who fancy ourselves secular and rational and deep thinkers, we too have got to do our homework. Mm -hmm. So as on blind faith, what other secular, rational people with agendas have concluded on our behalf. Well, like what? Like, uh, you know, it's true that the Quran uh, promises virgins in, in, in heaven to people who, you know, go on suicide missions. Well, not only in my view and from my reading is that not true, mm. but it is also not true that the Quran in any way endorses suicide missions. Uh, well, as we said, you know, it's a very vague and contradictory book, so you can pick from yeah. it a message that you want. And of if it's vaguely can. alluding to that kind of reward for people who die in battle for Allah, it can be right. concluded depending on what stretched. you're... It can be stretched that way, for sure. But this is why I'm, I'm pointing out that um, unless you yourself, and I think you have, unless you yourself do the homework mm. to read it, to think about it, to consult both supporting and opposing points of view, uh, it would not be rational mm -hmm. to simply accept, because other secular rational people say it's there, to simply accept that the Quran endorses suicide missions. I'm saying that it does not. Does yeah. that mean I'm telling you the full truth? No. I'm and a human just being and I have. It. That's how I see it. Sure. Because that's how the evidence has presented itself to me. But, but I mean, that does not make me an apologist for the violence in Islam. What it makes me is deeply skeptical of other people's agendas, mm. no matter what the ideological point of view they're mm -hmm. coming from. 
And I think if people were more skeptical about listening to Bullahs in Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, then they could find a way where they would say that this doesn't fit with the modern right. way of living in the 21st century. And, and many Muslims have found that path. So that's so that's great. But, but in terms of stretching it, I don't think it's mm-hmm. really stretching it when the words are saying that in a battle, if you die for God, then there are rewards, okay. right? Um, it's just stretching it from maybe our perspectives because we're not in a battle or whatever, but if it's someone like ISIS, then they're Mm -hmm. perpetually in a battle with what they consider to be non-believers. And to them, non-believers are even majority Muslims who just don't practice the way they do. So Mm -hmm. for them, they can fit their worldview into everything that the Quran is saying. So for them, that raw material is there provided, right? For sure, for sure. Which is reason alone that we can't deny the negative noise in the Quran. Exactly. And so when you say that they're being offered raisins, or even, even if they are being offered raisins and that in itself is problematic that for something like like there's still a reward right even yeah, if absolutely raisins. yes and this is where again uh you know from a rational point of view i have to remember history and i have to remember the seventh century um fighting for a reward in heaven was not uncommon. Mm. Shit, in the 11th, 12th, 13th century, uh, it was not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, we are all living in the 21st century, mm-hmm. all that is except for, you know, uh, people with a 7th century uh, frame of mind. We are all living in the 21st century and how we judge the diktats, the principles, the ideals of the 7th century uh, will be from a contemporary point of view. And so while judge we must, we must in order to be ethical global citizens, we have to judge. Let us also keep in mind that it would be unfair, I think, to determine that, um, you know, they were backward when in fact they were not backward for their time. They were absolutely in line for their time. Yeah, but today that just doesn't work. Um, Oh, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. So what is it about Islam in particular that's kept it resistant, do you think, to secularization, to watering down, to kind of coexisting with modernity in the same way that Christianity has or, you know, other religions have mm-hmm. to a greater degree? Right. Well, um, first, you might remember, and perhaps your father, you know, uh, has already mentioned this and discussed it with you, that there was a time not so long ago Uh, in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, even early 70s, when, um, you know, the the restrictions on women, for example, were much fewer than Mm. they are today. Oh, yeah. Uh, Right? I mean, in Pakistan, in Egypt, in various other parts of the so-called Muslim world, women would be able to go out with their mini skirts. My grandma has pictures that that would be unbelievable today. Unbelievable today. Exactly. And so while there are, and I'm happy to get into this in just a second, while there are, um, you know, certain things about Islam that make it very challenging, you know, to to advocate reform, nonetheless, it is not immune to the kind of modernity that, um, you know, you and I are talking about. 
precedents have been set. And this is where I now want to get into uh, a direct answer to your question. In Egypt, for example, there was a very promising reform movement in the 1920s. And the reason it failed, by the way, it was led by feminists. Again, you know, people whom you and I today would would still call feminists. Mm. Um, and it failed. Why did it fail? Well, the research I've done uh, strongly suggests it failed because there was one trump card that um, anti-modernists were always able to pull out of their back pockets and exploit. And that is the trump card of Western colonialism. Uh, for example, you know, the feminists who led the 1920s reform movement in Egypt uh, were called, um, you know, puppets of the West. And that almost instantly killed the credibility of their movement. Now, that's what they do to us, to Malala. Exactly. Exactly right. This is the ongoing issue from a, from a practical point of view. This is the ongoing issue. But it's also hypocritical because look at Saudi Arabia, Saudi colonialism, Saudi imperialism. What it's done to Pakistan is, I mean, it's horrific, right? Horrific. In in my own lifetime, I've seen people's views and perspectives. I've seen the language evolve where they try to take the Persian words out of Mm -hmm. our greetings and they stick Mm -hmm. the Arabic words in. I've seen our wedding traditions change where people oppose really basic, simple, colorful wedding traditions and try to make them more like desert Arabian and bland. Correct. Correct. That's uh, also so, imperialism, but that's not an imperialism. That's exactly right. That that's anybody exactly opposes. Right. Well, and a particularly people who call themselves progressive. Yes, and those who oppose this Western colonial thing, then they don't oppose consistently. Exactly. Exactly right. And so, you know, the question then uh, like naturally becomes, okay, what do we do about that? Look, I don't have a bullet point or bulletproof answer. What I do think is necessary is for people like you and me, and you've certainly been doing your share with podcasts and, you know, brilliant articles and so forth, um, is um, we've got to keep getting uh, the message out there for a new generation of Muslims Mm -hmm. that imperialism is imperialism is imperialism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a uh, 1960s feminist uh, so beautifully put it, um, you can't dismantle the master's house by using the master's tools. Okay. So, uh, you know, you can't meet dogma with yet more dogma because mm-hmm. guess what? It's still dogma. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's incumbent upon people like you and me. And uh, by that, I mean people who uh, believe that we're coming from a, a secular, rational point of view to role model mm-hmm. that rationality. Uh, so um, so wisely, so beautifully, that when we encounter and go out, actually, and you know, engage with a new generation of Muslims, um, understanding where they're coming from, and not just insisting that under- they understand where we're coming from, that when they think about that conversation in their more private moments, when they don't have to be, quote, on script, they will see that it is possible to be open-minded, to be questioning and still have some kind of a respect for the traditions from which you came. 
Yeah, but here's the thing. When we come mm-hmm. out and we try this stuff, the Western left also tries to silence our voices in many mm-hmm. times. So, right. so like in Ontario, our sex ed curriculum is very compatible with, you know, my children's book, My Chacha is Gay. And they read it in school uh, for mm-hmm. their anti-homophobia day. And it was really, you know, teachers liked it and everyone liked it until the message got back to... Pakistani Muslim parents home and then everybody was outraged and what did the schools do they did not stand up for me or say that we will continue to use this resource which is good to teach kids Mm -hmm. uh, from Pakistani households or Muslim households who actually really need to learn this message of diversity more than anyone Um, instead they yanked the book and didn't pursue using it ever again in in any official capacity or Um, when I wanted to speak out about the niqab stuff going on in Canada, there was a woman who refused to take off the face veil during the citizenship oath, and um, they were only hearing from people that were pro-face veil, Mm -hmm. and they bumped me off of a few panels, uh, radio shows, so, I mean... So what now, right? What now, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. okay, so I think... And this is something I'm doing in my next book, which I'm writing uh, uh, these days. I think we've got to seize upon that word diversity. You just mentioned it, and Mm -hmm. I think that's a hugely important word. And um, send the message that for diversity to be truly inclusive, it has to embrace diversity of thought. And what that means is that even within affinity groups like Muslim or gay or women or people of color, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that, you know, decision makers such as teachers, um, such as corporate uh, leaders, um, such as politicians, have got to ask within these affinity groups, what are the diverse points of view? Mm-hmm. And how can we bring that diversity out into the open, and you know, I, I'll tell you, I've been I've been testing this idea of of challenging progressive people on their uh, definition of diversity and their practice of it. I've been testing this out in various speeches that I've been giving over the last, um, I'd say, number of months. Excellent. And I must tell you that when it's framed this way, that folks, diversity of labels is not. Real diversity, real diversity, inclusive diversity must embrace diversity of thought. They stop in their tracks Mm -hmm. because here's the thing. We're not opposing the idea of diversity, okay? So what we're saying is you want diversity? What you're practicing right now is superficial diversity. Mm -hmm. You want meaningful diversity? We got to dig deeper Mm -hmm. and here's how we can do that. Yeah. So, right, we're not challenging this cultural, you know, embrace of diversity, nor should we. Diversity is great. But let's not be narrow about it. Let's not be exclusive in the way we practice diversity. Hmm. And and it's interesting, you know, even practitioners of diversity for school boards and whatnot, they realize, oh my god. I mean, you know, what I the way I've been practicing diversity is um, is a real um, you know undermining of what I claim to stand for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we can only keep 
trying and hope for the best. It's not looking good, but maybe this um, kind of flip of politics where Trump is in power and there's Nazis out and about will get people to listen more to other and perspectives. I have, to say, I have to say that, you know, the reason I'm optimistic about, and again, I, well, maybe maybe optimism is too strong a word. I'm hopeful. I can, you know, I can't I can't legitimately say that I'm optimistic, but I can sincerely say that I'm hopeful. And the reason for my hope is that I am now engaging a new generation of Muslims, um, not just at universities, but in various other places. And I am seeing for the first time in the 15, 16 years that I have been publicly, you know, advocating for reform in Islam, I am seeing a hunger and an openness for uh, deeply honest conversations. Just not long ago, I uh, headlined an event at the University of Southern California where I now teach. It was called Forbidden Questions About Islam. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was an event in which I solicited the most politically incorrect questions about Islam that anybody has ever harbored. And this was their golden opportunity to express them and have them addressed. That's great. First of all, can I say that there were far more hijab-wearing Muslim girls in that audience than I ever imagined hmm. would, would come close to it. And second, they were the ones who two hours after the event was over were still congregating to ask more questions. And, you know, I didn't ask this at first because I didn't want them thinking that, oh, I've got an agenda to, you know, to, uh, to get their support for, for um, my point of view. But I asked them towards the end of those two hours of conversation, um, did, you, did you like this event? Did you think it was, you know, it was worthwhile having? And almost to a person, they said, uh, we need more of this. That's great. That's really good to hear. If only more universities would host discussions exactly, like this. Exactly. Exactly. Using, you know, the language of the left to challenge them to practice it more honestly. Well, yeah. I mean, intersectionality should include the intersection mm -hmm. of disbelief <laughs> or questioning belief. You bet. You um, bet. But it doesn't, right? So. Well, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Yeah. But, but that's part of, you know, uh, this uphill path is that, you know, we've got uh, to um, have enough hope to continue not just advocating a deepening of diversity by including diversity of thought, but also, and this is really key to our own integrity and our own credibility, we've got to role model it. Yeah, I think by, you're doing a good job. Well, so are you. <laughs> On a much, I mean, much smaller not, scale. No, no, no. But you see, here's the thing. By even engaging with me, a believer, and, you know, uh, not um, sort of sledgehammering me with atheist dogma. No, it's not atheism. It's atheist dogma, okay, that I am that I have a real hard time with because dogma is dogma oh, is dogma. Oh, I hear you. There are some right? really dogmatic uh, yeah. atheists out there who... Right. And by, and by not sledgehammering me with that, you can see that I'm spending even more time with you on this podcast than I had initially planned for. Amazing. Why? Because I'm genuinely enjoying our conversation. That's so good and, to hear. Well, but, 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 you know, yes, it is wonderful to hear, but here's my, my, my bigger point is that 
you are role modeling the very openness that you are asking of others. And so you're showing me, A, that it's possible, B, that it's coming from a deeply sincere place on your part, Mm. and C, that if I'm going to have my own, you know, kind of um, kind of credibility with you. I, I need to reciprocate your openness. So ultimately, it is relationship by relationship by relationship. There, I, I'm sorry to say, there is no shortcut to any of this. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if we can see for ourselves that we've got to be the best billboards for what we are asking of others then um, we're actually going to become better communicators of the need for asking more questions. Mm-hmm. You've just got me like all red and blushing. So, because <laughs> you said well, you so know, many nice things about me. And, and, and you know that I mean them. And, uh, you know, to kind of put a finishing flourish on where we started. Uh, I don't know if this is uh, what you've observed, but certainly, you know, as a brown chick, when I blush, I actually get browner. <laughs> well, I actually just <laughs> blush probably inside. You can't see me turn red. But. Okay, okay. <laughs> but no, it, yeah, it's. Um, I just. I. I I'm so uh, honored and so privileged to uh, do this podcast with you. Um, people like you, you know, honestly, they fuel my hope because oh. I see that I'm not talking to a wall mm. when I encourage openness. Um, there are, I've, I've come up with this uh, phrase, they're rare, but they're there. <laughs> Meaning those people with integrity, you know, they're few and far between. And by the way, will, they, they will always be few and far between because wrestling with the ego is probably the hardest thing that we human beings need to do. It's hard, yeah. very hard. But if we can see to it that we loosen the grip on our own egos just enough to hear others so that their emotional defenses come down just enough to hear us yeah. in turn, okay? We will have done such a great, and by the way, a service that only makes us, you know, better human beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's only the, the way to get your message across is try not to make people defensive, right? Uh, at Correct. least that's what I believe in, and I do try for Correct. that. Correct, and so. and so here's, a, as a final, final thought, here's one thing that you might want to try with, with your family. You know, uh, you mentioned in this podcast that um, they so often come from a place of denial. Mm. And I added that I think that that denial comes from defensiveness. Mm-hmm. You might want to say to them, you know, guys, I'm not trying to win any debate here, okay? If you, if that's where you're coming from, I'm going to let you win. You win. I'm saying that right now. You win, okay? Oh, I never say that to them. (laughs) Okay. Well, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. If they, if they know that you're not there to, you know, to, to play gotcha politics. Yeah. They might. Just might. It's worth an experiment. Yeah. Um, They might be willing to be more vulnerable with you. And, okay, and you say, yeah, but Irshad, I can't say you win. That's just, that would compromise my integrity. I hear that. I hear that. And so another thought would be to let them know, um, I'm honestly not trying to make you defensive. Yeah. Oh, Um, yeah. 
don't, there's no need for defensiveness here. I'm not going to be defensive. You don't need to be either. Let's just be human with one another. Mm-hmm. I and mean, see what comes of that. I just want to make clear that we have very pleasant and and nice discussions. Yeah. We're we're actually one of the few families that can openly discuss and debate uh, religion it, from the Pakistani community that I've come across. Otherwise, there's a whole lot of silence and just obedience sure. that I see. So right. I do right. really appreciate my family, and I think I mean they did raise me to be very exactly. <laughs> uh, very rule breaky and you know oppose I hope everything. Your father doesn't everything. regret that though. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I mean, he just kind of shakes his head and smiles, right? He just explains it. Away. Oh yeah, yeah. You're just you're an artist. That's how he explains it. So, <laughs> so when well, I, in that case, leverage your artistry, my friend. <laughs> right. Maximize its impact. You yeah. know, yeah. which which I see that you're already doing. And I want to use, you know, that call and, and your um, uh, role modeling of that call um, to encourage our listeners, um, you know, to be creative uh, in how they advocate for a rational approach to life. Perfect. Thank you so much, Arshad. I mean, I think it's been a very fruitful and productive and excellent discussion. I could talk to you for seven more hours, but I don't think you have that kind of time. At this moment, I don't. But hey, you know, when the when the new book comes out, let's actually do another podcast, okay? Let's do it. Definitely. That, I would I'd be that. honored. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much for joining me today, Irshad. And good luck with your new book and all your upcoming projects. And I will be talking to you again, as we just said, right? Love it. Power oh. to the mangoes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help.